the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, a brand new week. It's Monday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, life questions, whatever's going on in your heart. All you've got to do is call 310 I'm sorry, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, I remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. I hope you had a great weekend in church. We did. It was communion, uh, not communion Sunday yesterday. We, we just returned from our uh, men's retreat, and I want to thank all of you who were praying for us. We really had a great, great time. Uh, Pastor Kevin Green was my guest. He's also a really good friend, so it was very comfortable for me, really nice time, and uh, it was really a neat work that the Lord did uh, at the men's retreat. Now we're just dealing with sort of the residual tiredness and, um, you know, a few days out in nature. I'm dealing with eye issues that, that are a little more difficult, but really had a great time. Really had a wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, our, uh, all of our Monday night Bible studies uh, resume. We've been off for three weeks because of the back to school Labor Day and just letting everybody get adjusted uh, to uh, to new schedules as school begins. But we are back tonight. Uh, Paula and the ladies will be teaching uh, out of First Timothy. Uh, Pastor Ken is, I think, in the last chapter of Nehemiah, and uh, he loves this study. He came in and told me, he says, I just love this study. So that's tonight. And then Pastor Chris with the junior hires and Pastor Matthew with the high schoolers, uh, they'll be there as well. So you can make it a family um, night and and uh, spend it with Jesus in the Word of God. That's at 7 o'clock. Ladies, you can watch live stream at calvarysa.com. Okay, let's get to some questions. You guys can call, and we'd love to have your input. But until then, let's get to the questions that have been sent in. Uh, the first one is from Olivia. Uh, what do we have to do to have our names blotted out of the book of life? Uh, Olivia, you can't do anything. Our names will never be blotted. Now, I know what um, the confusion is. We make a logical assumption that's simply not logical. Uh, you know, Jesus promises that church that uh, he would not blot out the, the names uh, from the book of life. And the reality is that uh, people say, well, I'll never blot your name out. That must mean he blots some names out. And Olivia, he just doesn't. 
That's that's a positive promise. I will never blot your name out. Uh, and uh, for us to think that, well, that must mean he blots some names out, that's simply not the case. So, Olivia, you can be secure. Your name, once it's there, remember, Galatians 6 says that God will not be deceived or he can't be mocked. Um, we also know from Paul's letter to Timothy that... that uh, uh, he he knows those who are his, and the only ones whose names go into the book of life are those who belong to him, those he knows. Now, the passage of Scripture, Olivia, is Revelation 3, 5, and he talks this. He said, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. So that's about as secure as we can possibly be. I will never, and there's a very, very strong term in the Greek. So can't have your name blotted out of the book of life. And... Um, Remember, those are enemies, lies, uh, to try to make us doubt the love of God and the security that we have. Let me see one other thing, Olivia, and this is just not specifically about your question. But one of the things that I try to communicate here at our church all the time is that I believe it really hurts God's heart when we doubt our salvation. You know, now, if we are living godless lives, uh, then we ought to doubt our position in Christ, whether or not we're really saved. But if we're doing what God wants us to do, and we have those, well, God, uh, how, how could you love me kind of moments, or or can I lose my salvation kind of moments, I think that's when we really grieve the heart of God. What more could Jesus have done to prove his love for us once and for all What more could he have done than to die for us on the cross after having taken the punishment for your sins and mine? So I think that's really important. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it. Mickey has a question. And Mickey, uh, I'm going to take a little bit of time with this. Um, He asks, what should the church be doing to counteract the bad influence of social media? Mickey, this is one of my hobby horses here. I communicate to our church all the time. Now, I, I, I recognize, before I even say this, I recognize that I'm not going to change the culture. I can't even convince the people at our church, people who know my heart and people who love me and they know I love them, and they don't listen to me when it comes to this thing. But until parents understand the brainwashing power of social media, they're simply not going to do anything. And the problem in large part is that the parents are also uh, under the heavy influence of social media. Instead of them saying to their kids, uh, you know, you be aware of social media, stay off social media. They can't do that because they themselves won't get off social media. I'm telling you, Facebook and and uh, Twitter and whatever it's called now, X, um, um, Snapchat, uh, uh, all of these um, websites, or I don't even know what the websites, apps, whatever they're called now. But um, we don't understand how evil they are. We don't understand how the devil is using it. And I've said to our church, Mickey, uh, uh, dozens of times, that if you are not a man or a woman immersed in the study of God's Word, in other words, if you're not renewing your mind uh, by the power of God's Word, then we're all going to be persuaded by the world that we live in, most notably by and through social media. We're all going to be persuaded that the things that God says are bad or evil are okay. And we're going to be caught up in that. I mean, think of how much of the professing church has already decided that it's okay to be an active homosexual or it's okay to be trans uh, and doubt the way we were created, um, the, the pattern we were created, given to us by God. And so what we do is we immerse ourselves in social media, the constant um, um, persuasive influence of the people there who are trying to sell you a particular perspective. Um, We're going to give into it. It's just that simple. Only the word of God and a spirit-filled, spirit-led Christian is strong enough to withstand that. And the, the sad reality, Mickey, is that Um, We just don't believe it. Now, the question you ask, what should the church be doing? 
Uh, This isn't a church issue. This issue is in the home. And parents simply are unwilling to tell their children they do not have access to social media. It's an amazing thing to me. You know, if our kids were saying, you know, I'm going to go out to the bar and get drunk every night. Wait a minute. You're only 12 years old or 13 years old. You can't do that. Of course, parents wouldn't do that. But we send our children to bed every night with a computer that gives them access to all of these outside elements that are trying to destroy them. And they don't recognize it. They're not. I mean, they're young and they're naive. Of course, they don't recognize it. But that's what a parent's job is to protect our children. And when parents themselves are immersed in social media, uh, it's going to be a family that's in sort of chaos all the time. So you understand it's a bad influence, but this is not a church issue. Like I've said, I, I say this dozens and dozens of times here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, our youth pastors are constantly talking to the kids about the dangers of social media. That's all we can do. We have no authority in people's lives. I wish that I could get even my own church members to believe me. And they just don't. And they don't understand the impact this is having on their own kids. And in fact, most adults, Christian adults, don't even understand the negative impact it's having in their own lives. How it's very subtly, very cleverly. Remember, the, the, the serpent was the most cunning of all the creatures. They don't understand how their mind, thoughts, and patterns are being shaped. And the reality, Mickey, is that Social media is not going away. Uh, When I talk to Christians about this, they look at me like, oh, okay, we love you, Pastor Ron, but you're going just a little overboard here, don't you think? And yet we deal with the terrible results of social media all the time. All the time. Mickey, let me add one other aspect of allowing our children to have unfettered access to telephones, the computers that we carry. I'm dealing now with eight-year-olds who have found pornography. Eight-year-olds. Now, whether you're eight or 12 or 14 or 15, these people are not emotionally nor physically ready. The Song of Solomon says twice, do not awaken desire before it's time. And we're not ready to deal with pornography emotionally, psychologically, physically. And it's going to be ruining these kids. At our men's retreat, we had a man who stood up and confessed that he'd been captured by pornography for 40 years. Now, I know this man know how old he is. That means he started at eight years of age. And we think there's no problem with it. Or we think, oh, my kids won't be impacted by it. My kids are are different. No, they're not. And we have a responsibility, a fiduciary responsibility to protect our children. And parents, you're going to stand before the Lord and give account of your stewardship over your children's lives. I think it's time that we take this much more seriously than we do. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question. Let me see this one from Anonymous from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. I'm sorry, my throat scratched. I had to take a drink. Hi, Pastor Ron. I would like your thoughts. about organ or blood donation and receiving. Are Christians allowed to donate or receive blood or organs? The answer anonymous to both questions, of course. Not only are we allowed, but we ought to be the first to line up to be organ donors. I mean, you know, again, I say all the time on the program that what happens to these old bodies after we're gone uh, really doesn't matter at all. 
these bodies are going to be traded in for a, a, a much newer, much improved version of glorified, resurrected physical body. And the only value that we can leave behind with these old carcasses are the fact that we can possibly contribute organs to people who aren't ready to die yet, and they can live fruitful lives. So um, organ donation, blood donation, uh, of course, I know there are Jehovah's Witnesses who mangle um, the scriptures, especially Leviticus, which has nothing to do with Christians today. Um, and, and and they won't take uh, blood transfusions and things. Uh, and, it, you know, there's a history of Jehovah's Witnesses uh, who uh, who've died because they wouldn't they wouldn't take blood transfusions. Uh, that really is um, just not being smart at all. So, yes, we are allowed to donate and we are allowed to receive blood and or organs. And Jesus would be very, very pleased. What a wonderful gift that we could give to some people. Let's go to our friend Reuben uh, on line one. Reuben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today, sir? Thank you, Ruben. That's good. Um, I just have a question for you. Um, it's been two weeks since my father passed away, and I had a really, really difficult time with it, but um, I know that God is, has, has, has me in his hands, and I know that he's, he's my comforter. And, mm-hmm. um, and there's a scripture, I can't remember it verbatim, but it talks about prayer and it it talks about don't be repetitious in what you pray pray for mm-hmm. uh like the heathens uh do um and i'm having a hard time like i don't i don't know what's going on but like every day i i, I pray and 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 i find myself like praying the same thing um am i doing wrong by by doing that like asking god for the same thing every day um and given my situation with, with my with my dad and there's other things with my family that, that's been going on it's really not helpful because um, I definitely don't want to to pray and you know be repetitious and you know I'm just asking God to give me strength to go through it go through this because it's been two weeks and Man, it's just it's just hard. It is hard, not especially being here at the house without him. I mean, it's just empty and quiet, and I'm <laughs> I don't know. But so my question was like, um, when we pray every day, I mean, we have to. I mean, if we pray for the same thing, and I mean, use the same words, is that just going against what the scripture says? Yeah. It's it's not, Reuben. In the context, uh, Jesus is talking to um, the religious leaders in, in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's basically saying to, to the people that he's talking to, his audience, don't be like those guys who just repeat these religious prayers. We could say the same thing to Catholics. Don't be like them, you know, with their, their Our Fathers and Hail Marys and those kind of things, because there's no value. Now, in your particular case, Reuben, you simply got to understand that you, you need to give yourself some time to grieve. And grief never feels good. Grief never goes away. You know, I think sometimes we think, well, if I pray enough, then then the grief will go away. The Holy Spirit will comfort me. Um, but, but we grieve. Paul says that we grieve not like those who have no hope because we have hope, but we grieve nonetheless. And I think you got to just understand, and, and the Lord certainly understands your heart. And so to pray the same things every day uh, is not... Uh, a, a sin. It's not uh, an act of faithlessness at all. Uh, I pray uh, for many of the same things every day, and sometimes many times during the day, Reuben. And uh, the Lord um, is hearing my prayer and hearing my heart. There is a parable that Jesus tells about the persistent widow, saying that you ought to always pray and not give up. Paula, as you know the story, Reuben, prayed for me for 13 years 
day in and day out, and I'm grateful that she did. So that's not what Jesus is talking about. One thing I would like to ask you, Reuben, or get a little clarification, um, uh, if it's not too personal, if it is, that's okay. But what are you praying in relation to your father? Well, it's just more... Because my brothers and sisters are blaming me that he passed. I was just obeying his wishes. He didn't want to be in a nursing home, and he didn't yep. want to be in a hospital. And 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 I feel guilty. I feel so guilty, and I ask God to forgive me if I did wrong. I mean, if I, if I would have put him in a nursing home or a hospital, he would have lasted more or, or, or longer. No. But that's not the life that he wanted. He told me, he said, Ruben, please, I don't want to be in a nursing home. I don't want to be in a hospital hooked up to a ventilator. I, I just want to go home peacefully. Yeah, and Ruben, that's two, what he did. Two things, and we've talked about this relative to other issues, but we know where guilt comes from. Romans 8, one says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you say you feel guilty because you're listening to those accusations, two things that I think are really important. First, stop listening to the accusations. I would tell your family members the same thing my grandma told me over and over and over. Ronnie, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. That's a really nice way of telling them, just be quiet. If you got other things to say, go go off by yourselves, and you can trash me, you can talk about me all you want, but I'm simply not going to listen to that any longer. You know your heart. You did what, what your dad wanted you to do, and I think that's honoring your father, and, and yeah. anything to the contrary, anything at all to the contrary is simply something the enemy is going to use to try to turn it back on you. And, and then feel guilty. If you will identify the moment you feel guilty for doing what your father told you he wanted done, the minute you feel guilty, you need to recognize that that is the enemy. Now, he may be using your family members, but that's the enemy, and his only job is to try to destroy you. His job is to lie to you and steal the joy of the Lord from you. So very important. Once you identify the source, you can say, I want nothing to do with that. And, and you know, Hebrews says uh, in chapter 13 uh, that we are to throw off everything that hinders. And sometimes, Reuben, especially in a situation like this, it's time to throw off um, some of those relationships, give yourself a break from them simply because they don't have your best interest at heart. So you, you need to step away. Something else that's really important, I think, here for us to, to recognize is that, that your father right now is in the presence of the Lord, and he's in the presence of the Lord enjoying everything and the real guilt would have come in had you not done what he said. You know, I've had a lot of experience ministering in nursing homes. And the one thing that I find to be true is that the minute they go into a nursing home, they deteriorate, they deteriorate much more quickly. And, and they, they, their mindset, especially your dad's mindset, had you put him in a nursing home, your dad's mindset would have been such that um, um, he would have deteriorated very quickly because uh, it just he, he's miserable. And he didn't spend his last days in misery. He spent them where he wanted to be, and he was able to do that because of your heart for him. So please, please, please recognize that those are lies from the enemy. If you need to, to tell your family members, why don't you guys just give me a break, stay away, I'm not going to listen to you. And remember, when they call, and they will, or when they text, and they will. All you got to do is hit hang up. All you got to do with the text is hit delete. And I think you can delete texts. Okay, hit delete. I don't I don't text, so. But um, uh, protect yourself and protect your walk. Ruben, thank you very, very much. Grief is normal. Don't feel bad. And you can ask the Lord as many times as you want uh, for his comfort. But, but Focus on your father and what he's doing and where he is right now. Thank you. Let's go to Ray on line two. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. 
Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, I have a question on uh, Luke, first chapter. Uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, it's verse 32, where uh, it's it's said that uh, Jesus... Uh, father was David or I, I, I don't have, I don't have that right in front of me right now, but, uh, could you just kind of explain the, uh, the genealogy of that? Uh, I, I, I'm guessing that it was through, uh, Joseph that David was, uh, anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're very familiar with it and I'll yes. just listen on the, on the radio. Okay. Did that, that make any sense? It makes perfect sense, Ray. Thank you very much. Good to hear from you, my friend. Hey, a couple of things. One, I'll probably have to take part of this on the other side of the break because we're inside about uh, 40 seconds, I think, for this half of the show. Um, but remember, whenever, the, the, when it says in verse 32, it says uh, of Jesus, he will be great and will, will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. There are times, and the context here is very clear, where father is given, like we would use the word ancestor, or in the lineage or genealogy of. It was David's throne, and he was God's first choice for a king. Jesus is going to sit on that throne. More on that when we come back. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I'm going to finish Ray's question uh, discussing the genealogies. Remember, Ray, that... that uh, especially when you get into Genesis, the the father of the father of the father of, um, there are some direct relationships, father son relationships, as we understand them, that are skipped. But the idea is that we are a descendant of or an ancestor of. And when somebody's talking about the father of, um, and it's intended to be taken literally, um, um, David is the son of Jesse. Um, Jesus is the son of God. That's literally. But when when David is said to be the son of God or the son of man, um, uh, the throne of his father, David, those kind of references, then we can understand those quite clearly, that they're part of of his lineage or the ancestry of that person. Now, the difference between Matthew and Luke's genealogies, a lot of people get confused over this. But Matthew, remember, Matthew is the most Jewish of all the Gospels. And and his genealogy is through Joseph, the father, um, in order for Joseph to have a legal right to be, um, uh, or I'm sorry, in order for Jesus to have a legal right to be the Christ, the Messiah, uh, his father would have to have um, a genealogy that's traced back uh, properly. And so that's what he's trying to prove. His is the the legal line. But when he goes in Luke through Mary, Mary, of course, we know was Jesus' real mother. Um, uh, Joseph was not his real father. Well, then um, that biological genealogy goes through Mary, um, recognizing the virgin birth and his right all the way back, in fact, to Adam. All the way back to Adam uh, in the genealogies. So that's the reason for them. Thank you, Ray. Appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question. This one is from Leo. 
He says, um, Pastor, when someone gets saved on their deathbed, will they have any rewards to receive? That's an interesting question, Leo. And, and um, you know, I think we, we will receive some rewards. So the answer is yes. I have no idea what, what it would be. Um, certainly it won't be extensive. I've sort of toyed with that emotionally. Uh, my father um, who who we were all convinced would never become a believer, he really did get saved uh, on his deathbed. Uh, the Lord kept him around long enough for me to get there the next day after he received Christ. I had a friend of mine who was in the city uh, that he was in. He was in Las Vegas. And uh, my friend went over and shared the gospel with him. And, and my dad gave his heart to Jesus. I went the next day just to make sure he knew what he was doing and and all that, and my dad, he was my dad was saved. He 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 understood exactly what he was doing and why. And after I prayed for him, um, he he didn't wake back up. Uh, he went to be in the presence of the Lord. Now we might think, well, what kind of reward will he get? He was not a nice man. Um, he wasn't a loving, um, gentle father figure for sure. Um, but but there will be some kind of reward. Each will receive their reward, we're told, in the Word. And so, uh, yeah, there'll be some kind of reward. Again, maybe not many, but they will be in heaven with the Lord. And Jesus, of course, is their real reward. And one of the things I'm thinking about during the, my study in Leviticus on Wednesday nights is the position of the priests and the Levites. Um, they were shut off from worldly rewards, and Jesus said, I am your great reward. I mean, he was their portion. And uh, when when my dad went to heaven, um, you know, Jesus, now I'm doing this funny, but um, Jesus just would have kind of wiped his hand across his forehead and said, whew, that was close. But there will be some kind of reward. But, but I think the biggest reward, Leo, will be um, Jesus welcoming into the kingdom of God. God's grace is absolutely marvelous, and I, I I just overwhelmed by it at times. Thank you for the question. Here's a question from Alonzo. He says, "What commentaries on Romans do you recommend?" Um, Alonzo, there's so many good ones. Now I'm going to start with one that I I recommend a lot. F F Bruce, F F like Frank Frank. Um, uh, his his commentary in Romans, uh, in the New International Commentary series, is is um, exceptional, the best that I've ever read. Um, John R. W. Stott, he has a commentary on Romans. That's S T O T T. He has a commentary on Romans. It is great. There's a an old commentator, uh, a Bible scholar named William Newell, uh, William H. Newell, actually. Uh, and he has a commentary on Romans. He has another one on Hebrews uh, that's really good. Also, he has a commentary on Revelation, which is really good. But but uh, uh, William H. Newell, uh, that's a great one. Uh, there, there are just so many. Warren Wearsby has a commentary on Romans that's, that's good, a little simpler and less um, uh, scholastic than uh, in detail than than uh, Bruce or Stott or some of the others. But there's just some wonderful, wonderful commentaries out there. Uh, John Phillips. I like John Phillips. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan. I like his commentary on, on almost everything. It's really, really good. So there's a lot of stuff out there. Let me recommend one for you, Alonzo, that's free and online. A friend of mine, his name is David Guzik from Enduring Word. Uh, dot com. Uh, he's got uh, a commentary on the whole Bible. He's a Calvary Chapel guy. He's a good friend. We've had him out here at our church. Um, and, um, you know, his mission in life is to have an online, free online commentary of the whole Bible. And David is a solid theologian. Uh, and and uh, his commentary on Romans is also very, very detailed and very good. Again, EnduringWord.com. And uh, his website is pretty easy to traverse. So he's got some really good stuff out there. I'm trying to think of another one that's online. Um, um, free stuff. Where's some free stuff? Well, for right now, that's that's good. 
Here is a question from, oh, we got a phone call. Okay. Let's go to Alan from San Antonio on line one. Alan, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you. Thank you, Alan. God bless you. I uh, miss talking to you. It's been a while. Yeah. And, uh, hope you remember me. Of course, of course, I remember you, Alan. Good from you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I've been praying for you, and uh, I had a question. I'll, I'll turn off my phone at, 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 as soon as I ask it. Okay. Because uh, I've been uh, having to stay indoors with the high heat, um, and uh, because I'm a heart patient, and so I, I remember reading the passage in Genesis when 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 God promises to Noah um, that the seasons would continue for for uh, as long as the earth endures. I remember reading that, and um, I talked to some people in other countries and said that they they didn't have seasons that they just passed them right by. So I was just wondering about about that, and that was my question uh, because. Actually, it relates to me because uh, I can't leave. The, I can't leave my apartment when it's so hot like this. Yeah. And uh, anyways, um, God bless you, and and nice to talk to you. Thank you, Ellen. I hope you stay well, stay well, and stay strong. A couple of things: the the fact that somebody says something, we don't have seasons. Um, um, is nonsense because seasons are something that everybody goes through uh, in the whole world. Now, if you're at the North Pole or the South Pole, those seasons are going to look very much the same, but there are always seasons, and and that changes, uh, or that does not change um, how it looks. You know, we we sat, I spent 12 years in Arizona, and I thought, you know, we have, uh, like, hot and we have uh, hot, and 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 you know, but but we still go through the seasons, and um, uh, those promises of God are always promises that He keeps faithfully. And I, I think when people say we don't have seasons, what they're saying is we don't have recognizable seasons. If you lived in Southern California, I think you'd say, Alan, well, we don't really have seasons here. Uh, it's because winter is very mild and summer uh, isn't extreme typically. And um, um, so I, I think that's just their perspective of something. And, and that perspective certainly doesn't negate or change the Word of God. Alan, it really is good to hear from you again, and I hope you can get out soon, and we'll see you in the not-too-distant future. God bless you, dear man. Benjamin says, um, Will you talk about Jesus being at the right hand of God because God doesn't have hands? Um, insightful, Benjamin. God is the Spirit, Jesus said. The Father is the Spirit and is looking for uh, worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. You're right, God doesn't have a hand. The Psalms, poetic verses, um, um, poetic scriptures, say that the, the, the blast of his nostrils, uh, God doesn't have a nose, but, but they're, they're painting a picture. And in this particular case, biblically, the right hand of God, the right hand of anything, is always the power hand. When Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, that means Jesus is literally the power of God. So that's what that means, uh, and, and, and speaking metaphorically in a biblical sense, and that's always the, the emphasis there, Benjamin. So you're right, God doesn't have hands, he doesn't have a face, God the Father anyway, doesn't have hands, he doesn't have a face, um, but he is a person. And that mystery will be... Um, discovered, explained to us when we go to be in the presence of the Lord. That's one of the reasons, Benjamin, that Jesus had to come as a human being so that other human beings could relate to God and we could look at the character of Jesus and understand the character and the holiness of God. And uh, so that's why Jesus came to be like us. Hebrews says we do not have a high priest, a great high priest who uh, can't sympathize with us, but he does. He sympathized with us all uh, all of our weaknesses. Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry. 
or there were times certainly Jesus was angry, righteous anger, but but anger nonetheless. So he became one of us, and then he ascended to the right hand of the power hand of God, and that's what provides us access, Benjamin, to the Father. That's the power that we've been given. So that's all that means. It isn't literal in the sense that God the Father has a, a body, but but that's the communication from Jesus being at the right hand of the Father. Thanks for the question. Uh, Terry wants to know, is Lot's wife in heaven? The answer to that, Terry, will be no. Uh, she was warned what would happen, uh, and she looked back anyway, longing, and it's not just she glanced back, she looked back in a longing way, like, I don't want to go. There was nothing in Lot's wife to suggest that uh, that she would be in heaven at all. Lot, of course, we know, uh, was a righteous man. Um, we can read about his life. He doesn't appear to us to be so righteous, but he was vexed in his spirit by all of the wickedness around him. The problem with Lot is he didn't do uh, anything about that vexation in his in his spirit. And the reality is, uh, Terry, that Lot um, was so compromised that he couldn't even influence his wife or his sons-in-law. Isn't it sad? They lost their lives physically and eternally. They lost their lives because of Lot's compromise. I think that speaks a lot to us, especially as husbands and fathers. What we do, the choices that we make matter a great deal uh, because people that you say you love are watching. And Lot's wife um, has paid an eternal price for her disobedience. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. This is an anonymous question. Um, how can I overcome certain sins I'm not doing too well? Anonymous, I get questions like this all the time and the answer is always the same. You've got to be with Jesus. You know, the, the reality is that you're closer to your sin the desires of your flesh than you are to Jesus. And your flesh is always going to sin. My flesh is always going to sin. And my flesh is no different than yours, Anonymous. My flesh stinks just like your flesh stinks. The Apostle Paul says his flesh stunk and my flesh is no good thing. He says there's no one who seeks God, not even one. And so when we're away from Jesus, then we're going to sin. It's that simple. And so you've got to decide that you really love God more than you love your own sin. And if that's true, if you love Jesus more than you love your own sin, then when you are tempted, instead of thinking about the sin, you're going to think about him. You know, I have this enduring picture in my mind, and I'm going to use Paula in this example, but... Um, you know, uh, men are tempted by all kinds of things. I don't cheat on Paula. And in large part, my motivation, I mean, I love her for sure. But in large part, my motivation is uh, I can see her face the day she finds out that I was unfaithful. I can see her face. I can see the tears welling up. I can see the look of 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 a horrible disappointment. I can see the pain that I caused. In Leviticus, we're talking about transferring sins and and, and, and the, the sinner, the offerer, would put his or her hands on the, the, the ram or the bull and then they'd kill that, that animal and they would understand that I'm responsible for this animal's death. They'd, they'd, they'd feel the life going out of that animal. Well, if I saw that look on Paula's face, I'd know I did that. How would I explain that to Jesus when I promised him that I would love her and cherish her, and protect her? How can I be the one who contributes to trying to destroy her? So I, I just can't imagine that face. Now let me trump Paula for a moment. Because... 
I can't imagine explaining to Jesus. I can't imagine the look on his face when I continue to willfully sin. I don't want to be in that position. And so what I've got to do is make a decision. Jesus, I love you. What did David say? Against thee and thee only have I sinned, O God. We have to take personal responsibility. And and the truth, Anonymous, is you just don't hate your sin enough yet. You just don't hate it. Oh, God will forgive me. And then when you sin, I know what happens. You feel horrible about it because the enemy's trying to condemn you. The same one that tempts you is the one who's now trying to condemn you because you gave in. But the reality is we've got to decide before we give in to temptation that Jesus is more important. Being with Jesus in that moment is far more important than sending him away so that we can sin. So that's the answer. You just don't hate your sin enough. The Apostle Paul said, what I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, and Anonymous, you haven't gotten to that place yet. He said, who can rescue me from this body of death? I thank my God through Jesus Christ. In other words, as a believer, and I'm assuming that you are a believer, as a believer, you have the power to resist temptation. You ought to memorize 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It's not hard. It won't take you long. You ought to repeat it every time you start to feel tempted. But here's the reality. When temptation comes, Anonymous, what you do is you think, well, I want to do that. And you've just got to make the decision that you love Jesus too much to drag him through your sin all over again. So that's the way you overcome. Jesus has already overcome those sins. You've got to take him at his word. You've got to recognize that he's deposited his power in you. And you've got to utilize that power not to sin. And if you don't hate your sin, Anonymous, you're simply not going to do that. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Anonymous. Email inbox question. You've always said that you do not need to do guilt. I thought guilt was a good thing. How do you not feel guilt? No, and that's what I always say now. I say this on the show and I say this when I'm teaching the Bible. Guilt is a good thing if you're guilty. But remember, guilt has been removed from us in the person of Jesus Christ. So um, we don't need to do guilt if, in fact, we are truly repentant. And we move on. Now, Anonymous, this is something I struggle with mightily at the beginning of my Christian walk. One day I was reading Romans chapter 3, and I got to verse 24, and God showed me the silliness of continuing to wallow in guilt. We have been justified freely. And when I was reading that, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, When did that happen? I said, well, that happened on the cross. Well, when was that? I said, that was 2,000 years ago. Well, why are you still feeling guilty about something you've already repented of? And I got to tell you, Anonymous, that set me free. And I honestly don't feel guilt. Now, if I mess up, then I feel bad. But but I don't want to do guilt because guilt is going to keep me from being obedient to the Lord. I have to decide whether I really believe First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, that is to agree with God about our sin. He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if you've done something wrong and you feel guilty about it, but you've repented of it, what does that say about your faith in God's promise to you? And again, the problem is if we let guilt smack us around, then we're going to miss out on what God wants us to do then. So we've got to have enough faith to say, God, you died for that sin. I hate it. And I'm sorry. I know you've forgiven me. So let's move on. And then there's no more guilt. There's no more guilt. Now, the enemy will try to push those guilt or condemnation buttons. But 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 you have the power to shut those buttons off. And you realize that condemnation comes from the devil, certainly not from God. So if you do something and you're guilty, guilt is good. 
but that turns into conviction, which draws you closer to the Lord. Remember, guilt or condemnation draws you from the Lord. Conviction draws you to the Lord to receive the blessings of his promises. Good question. Thank you very, very much. We got only two minutes left. Here is a question. Oh, called in from Richard um, in San Antonio. What is your definition of the word perish? Uh, Biblically, uh, the word perish means to die. We're going to perish eternally. We're going to die spiritually. Um, So I, I think language isn't static. It changes. But biblically, the word perish means that we're going to die and be separated from God forever. And and um, Richard Ray is the the the, the questioner here. Um, don't let people trying to make a point twist the meaning of the word. The biblical meaning of the word is simply that you're going to die and be separated. For God so loved the world that He gave us one and only Son, that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. So that's the only thing it means. It doesn't mean that we just pop away. It doesn't mean that we cease to be. It means that we perish and we're going to be separated from God for eternity. So be very, very careful. There are people going to try to take words that we may define a little differently than the Bible does, but that's what it means. Richard Ray, thank you for the question. Hey, well, we're done with today's show. Remember, our Monday night Bible studies return tonight at 7 o'clock. Paula will be teaching the ladies out of 1 Timothy chapter 1. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. God bless. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.